Hey everyone, we're waiting for uh, Miska to get mic'd up, and we actually have a special guest in this episode of the uh, first ever live twig. It's uh, Chris Petrovic will be joining us. So uh, he's enriched many of your colleagues, <laughs> and now he's here to, to talk to us. Yeah, Adam Telford could not be here this week because uh, he just has a newborn that he is suffering through at this point. Oh. See, I'm not going to fall this time around. <laughs> Chris should be here. Sure. So, raise a show of hands, who listens to the podcast? All right, pretty All good. Right. Good numbers, okay. So, what's up, guys? <laughs> yeah, this is, this is how this normally goes. <laughs> yeah, this is it. This is like the pre-recording banter. Uh, yeah, I exactly. took a nice nap. You did? Yeah, I went yeah. back to the hotel. To take a nap? Yeah, I was dying. Really? I got like three hours sleep. Why? I was, was jet-lagged, man. I couldn't sleep. I woke up at four. Did you go to the gym in the morning? Yeah. That wasn't a joke? No. Wait, you I went to the gym this morning? Yeah. That was your mistake. Well, make sure I don't trip like you did this yeah. morning. <laughs> <laughs> well, I have this, like, uh... This shows big... you what a late addition I was. <laughs> I know. Yeah. yeah, this is how professional this normally is. It's like, <laughs> we build it up. Maybe let's, let's get the energy going again. Can we get the music going? Yeah. <laughs> One more time, the intro music. Let's go. Live Twig. First time ever. Big shout out to the people that stayed. Yeah. <laughs> the party's right, downstairs. I guess not. No I guess not. Actually, should we, we take it downstairs where the coffee is? Maybe yeah. do it down there. <laughs> yeah, well, I was asking where the beer is, but apparently there's, <laughs> there's, there's no alcohol. No, I didn't ask that. There we go. Yeah. All right. And, no, that's fine. Sorry, uh, as I'm hyping everybody, could we get a shout out to the to the tech staff? Yes. They, they yeah, never get a shout out. Thank you. Yes. Yeah. Well, again, welcome to the uh, first ever live deconstructor of fun twig. Um, this is we're going to try to do the same format as we do, but it's a little bit easier when you're you know screaming into a microphone in your basement than what it is What number is this, out by here. the way? Uh, this oh. is 176. 176. Maybe I don't know. We're approaching 200 now. Yeah. Mishka and Joseph Kim started this two and a half years ago. I joined slightly after because I was listening to it and it was horrific and they <laughs> definitely needed me. Uh, so I joined and I've been doing it ever since. Two, yeah. God, two and a half years. Unbelievable. Yeah. Um, and when did you guys level up with Eric Seifert? About oh. a year ago. Yeah. That was a certainly downgrade. That was, that was a <laughs> step change down. Well, I thought but it was the reverse. The, uh, the, the numbers <laughs> dropped off a cliff. That was, that was literally a year ago. Yeah. yeah. Super join in. It's mid-pandemic. I'm like, what else do I have to do? Sure. <laughs> <laughs> when I'll bill myself as a long-time listener, first-time caller. Yeah. <laughs> no, oh, you've, right, you've on, never been on a no, twig. No, you've only been, never been on a twig. That's right. You've never invited me, but jo Joseph Kim's had me on his few times. So. Oh, that's true. But you've been on the podcast, but not on the twig because you've been published on DOF. Yeah. Yes. Um, I had to earn my way. Gotcha. <laughs> Slowly. Yeah. So just as a, anybody that's not listened to the podcast, I mean, what, what I think makes it unique is that we are four different people with four different backgrounds. So we have an expert in UA. We have uh, Adam Telford, who's an expert in monetization design. AAA. And then we have Mishka, who is supposedly an expert in video game design, except he's never made a successful Mobile video game. games market. Yes. Free to play. <laughs> he's never made a successful game, just for the record. Yes, I have, no. but let's continue. And then 
And then I have to admit, I am an expert in nothing, but I know a, a lot, a little about a lot of things, I think. And I go from the market at 30,000 feet and, you know, kind of drop bombs on all kinds of different <laughs> things. Um, and, you know, I'm I, like you, but just more diplomatic. And, well, yeah, yeah. And, and I said this in the podcast before with Chris, is Chris and I are very, very similar in the way we think, but the way we express our opinions is quite a bit different. And he's far more diplomatic and far better at it than I am. Softer edges. Yes. Yeah. Right. yeah. Um, I also say that I'm 50, right? And I have a career that's going to be another six years. So I really don't care about burning bridges. You, know? so, you can barely so, get across one. I know. So I will. What keep, are you going to do in six years? Travel. Travel. Play Mishka's game. Yeah. Uh, yeah. <laughs> the, the one that is not a hit. The second one yeah. after this one. Yeah. But uh, seriously, though, if you guys want to ask any questions about any of us, you know, please. Feel free to do that um, as we go here. Um, so we're, again, we're going to try to do this in the same type of format. We're going to give a few updates. I have an update on this guy that's joining EA, which is driving me insane at this moment. Um, <laughs> Wait, so hold on. So they told us explicitly no cursing, but I'm going to try to get Eric to curse. Yeah, I'm going to sure. frustrate him so much that he's going to scream yeah. the, F, the F word out. <laughs> okay, and then we have like, we're going to do an update on our, our favorite moments in Istanbul. Yeah, sure. Yeah. But then we're also going to do three stories. One is and I can't believe these jokers before us didn't say anything about this, is that $625 million was lost by the customer for the biggest game in crypto. I might even bring these jokers back up here yeah. to like, <laughs> anyway, uh, they didn't mention it once. They gotta come and defend themselves. Yeah. <laughs> We're gonna mention uh, the that's play- in the past, it happened yesterday. Yeah. Oh, that's right, it's over. It's in the past. So uh, <laughs> look forward. <laughs> We're gonna talk about the new PlayStation sub, um, announcement that Sony did, which was much to do about nothing, frankly, but um, we're going to do it anyway. <laughs> and then I, know what, I do want to get everyone's opinion on the new, all these Apple things that are going on, right? I mean, you kind of mentioned it in your thing. Yeah. It's like you have the Spotify thing, you have the side-loading thing, you have like all these things. Like, where does this all I've add? got breaking news today yeah, related to that. We'll yeah. do nice, that. Nice. All right. Breaking news. You've so, heard it here first. All right. So the first update, I guess, in sort of rant is... I did a little bit of investigation. Last week, we were talking about the fact that this uh, McKenzie dude is joining EA as the VP of corporate strategy. And he's had seven years at McKenzie in Canada, right? And I'm not mentioning his name because I think that's mean, but anybody can go look it up and figure it's it out. It's quite close already. Yeah. Do we need to actually just <laughs> describe what McKenzie is as an entity just yeah. so we can see how disconnected it is from games? I guess so. I, what I would say is that McKinsey is an amazing consulting firm that hires the best of the best, the smartest people in the world, frankly, from the biggest, best institutions in the world. But this guy has never worked in gaming. So I went to go connect with him on LinkedIn, and we have two connections. Two connections. So, and I'm not the most popular guy, honestly. But at the end of the day, <laughs> the fact is this guy has absolutely no connection to the video game world. And, and so, one of them is a fellow McKinsey yeah, person. Yeah, and one guy uh, works at Activision, exactly. another douche from McKinsey <laughs> and Activision, right? And so, like, exactly how is he qualified to be VP of corporate strategy, product strategy, mind you, as far as I understand it, at EA? And so the reason this touches really close to home is the fact that I was, like, almost the original strategy guy at EA back in the day when there was no strategy person, right? We were... We were, it was a smaller organization. I'm, I'm OG, dude. I was there at 98, right? right? Was John CEO then, or was that before John? No, it was before Pre John. John. It was, uh, uh, um, forgetting his name. Anyway, the point is, uh, is that, so, so after me, it was like Chris Coe, and then there were these, all, I know all the other guys that have done the strategy before, and they are all people that with depth of experience in gaming. And gaming is a unique beast, right? It's a creative 
create a business that needs like context about what's going on. You go through millions of platform transitions, product transitions, and all that stuff. Without that context, it's really hard to add value. And so to put it more specifically, like if this guy has some theory about what to do with FIFA, and he creates this huge deck about the strategy for FIFA for the next 10 years, he's going to go up to Vancouver, and these guys are going to be all, we have been minting money for EA for the last decade. You're not telling me jack shit about, excuse my language. Yeah. <laughs> yes, there it is. There it is. You can't tell there me anything is. that I don't know about this, 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 this business. So who are you, right? That, and that's one thing. And the second thing, and the more present thing right now is, is, is Battlefield and, and, sh and shooters. EA is dying for a strategy in, in, in shooters. So these guys are going to be integral at building a strategy for shooters and for Battlefield. So, can you imagine this guy who has never worked in the video game industry coming up with some strategy that he's going to pitch to Vince Sampella? And Vince Sampella has been hitting nothing but net for 20 years in shooters. Like, he's going to say two words, fuck and off. Oh, right? man. Okay. There we go. That's it. I'm sorry, Google. So anyway, I, I don't really understand how... That didn't how... take that long. Yeah. Right? Yeah. We were like five minutes. You didn't, have, you didn't have to prompt him even. Yeah. But anyway, the point is, is I just don't understand exactly how this fits within their, 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 their ability to execute against strategy, right? And, it, and it's driving me insane right now. So maybe his role is different, and, and maybe he's focusing more on operations, which I think McKenzie and Bain and these guys are really, really good at, but they don't know anything about video games, and, and they've destroyed Blizzard, and, and they've destroyed many other studios around, and so like, I think McKenzie basically is the destroyer of studios, and I'm wow. hoping that they don't continue to infiltrate and plague uh, my, in this industry. But, so. but what if, like, when you consider these consulting companies like McKinsey or Bain or Boston Consulting, whatnot, aren't they really good at sort of consolidating information and coming up with new strategies because they're, they're just really good at, at acquiring the information? Like, maybe he could bring something out of the left field or kind of bringing more macro view of things where I, the Vincennes could make the decision based on that. Just pushing back a little. No, no, no. I, I think there's, like, for, for, for crypto stuff and, and blockchain stuff, maybe. Maybe, you know, bringing, like, kind of like the tabula rasa idea mm -hmm. where it's like, you know, we're clean slate, let's try to figure out how to penetrate this market. Still, it's a creative industry, right? And you need creative people to think about ways of, like, making creative decisions on, on these games. And I don't think McKenzie and Bain are really, that's not their forte, right? I mean, I think their forte is kind of like... Well, like you and I discussed earlier downstairs, this makes it a lot more palatable to me and to you if, if this is true corporate strategy in terms of operations, right. structuring, cost centers, um, you know, operations, outsourcing, the, 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 the nuts and bolts of running the business, but staying out of the creative side, I think would probably be the best advice to him. Yeah, and exactly. And I, and I think that's what the downfall of Blizzard was, is that these guys were drop shipped in trying to make creative decisions on World of Warcraft and Diablo and stuff, and they just blew it all up, you know? And so... Yeah. Let's hope that doesn't like happen. Like the, the big three, they're really good at uh, cost reduction, right? And that's, yeah. you, like McKinsey and, and, and BCG, it, like they hire for a very specific type of person, like kind of a conformist um, who's got like a very impressive CV, but that doesn't really deviate from like a kind of very specific uh, kind of well-bounded uh, sphere of operating, right? And, and you oftentimes bring in those people because they look good, they're very articulate, um, and they have impressive backgrounds, and they're kind of there to uh, package up an existing idea and 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 make it, uh, uh, you know, present it 
as if it's like new research or new thought, but in actuality, it's been like seeded into them by the sponsor of the consulting yeah, engagement, exactly. right? And so a lot of times it's cost reduction, it's consolidating teams, it's laying off teams. Um, and it's like, well, okay, McKinsey said we should do it, and they're so smart. Look, this guy came from Harvard, and this guy came from Oxford, or this woman came from Oxford, or whatever, and we should really trust them. Um, and that's what they're great at. But yeah, any sort of creative input, I wouldn't yeah. trust at all. But by no. the way, what you just described sounds more uh, uh, conducive to EA contracting with McKinsey to come right. in on a project basis or time basis, right? As well, opposed to having a full-time employee. Exactly, so, but that, and, that, and that's how they infiltrate, right? They do these projects, they mm -hmm. get themselves, uh, you know, some of these VPs or senior senior people get really enamored with these yeah. people, and then they bring them in to destroy. Yeah. All yeah, right, and, and then they have they have the, uh, the basically the uh, the flight zone because usually somebody in the VP or C-suite position is from McKinsey. Right. Yeah. So they trust McKinsey or yes. whatever gaming company or yeah, whatever yeah. consulting company they're for from, and through that, they get much more weight than they would normally do. Right, right. They have a And that's a really important part, is that they have the, uh, the support from the top management. From a sponsor, yeah, exactly. From a sponsor. Yeah. And, and then once they get in, they spread like a fungus. It's just bad. <laughs> All right. So uh, the next update, which we probably should have done first, is favorite moment of Istanbul so far, since we've been doing that. So I have to say, um, we did the Turkish bass. Mm -hmm. I had zero expectations, and it was amazing. And the best thing about it for me was the fact that I wasn't the palest guy in the room. <laughs> Joseph Joachim <laughs> definitely kicked my butt in that department, and I felt yeah. much better about myself. I mean, yeah, when he was laid down on the marble, <laughs> they thought it was dead. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, like, Where'd he go? What's <laughs> that? <laughs> So anyway, that, that was definitely my, my favorite moment, but, but it's been amazing. And thanks, Google, for all the uh, hospitality while we no. were here. How about you? Um, interesting. So, oh, I mean, we, we had, so yesterday we kind of had one day where we kind of tried to package everything in. So it started out with the hammams in the, in the morning, then we went to Salt Bay for, for lunch, then uh, <laughs> to the gym with Eric, <laughs> and then, um, and, then uh, and the cruise in the, in the evening. So it was a packed day, so huge thanks for Google for arranging everything. Um, I would say, yeah, Hamam was definitely an uh, interesting experience because my perception from it was that we would be sitting in a bath and there would be like a, like almost like a steam room and it would smell like eucalyptus. I don't know why I thought about eucalyptus, but <laughs> I thought it would smell like eucalyptus, which makes no sense. Well, most steam rooms in the West do. Yeah, yeah, but, yeah. but it's, that's like an Australian it's, thing. It's a US thing. Yeah, yeah but, but uh, it's not like that. And then, uh, and I thought that it would be like a massage type of thing, but actually they they wash you like like a baby. Yeah. Like, like a <laughs> Turkish man washed me yeah, really it, good. And I mean like washed, yeah, washed. It's like, like big hairy everything. men scraping your skin off. Yeah, Not it was, everything. It was quite I was, I was thoroughly washed by a, by a big Turkish man. So <laughs> I, it was uh, like... You guys clearly got the introduction package. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So so when you're thinking about Turkish, like now this is the mental image you have. <laughs> <laughs> so, and he slapped you hard. Yeah, he, like, he was, no Will Smith slap. That no, was a real no, slap. he was like, yeah, yeah. yeah exactly. Like any, he, any chance to beat up an American? I yeah. think that was well, what I was. No, I, t I tipped him to do that. No. <laughs> <laughs> so that's that's what happened. But um, yeah, it was uh, it was interesting. Um. <laughs> um, uh, it's really hard to pick. We had a really beautiful cruise on the Bosphorus last night that I enjoyed very much. Uh, probably Salt Bay so far. Tonight we're going to taxi him though. So that's going to be, uh, uh, I would say, an S, S show. Uh, no, I don't, I don't know if we'll do that. Um, yeah, the salt bay was really fun. That was, and the food was delicious. No. I mean, just, and then there's the whole show, the, the theatrical component to it. I will say that guy's an egomaniac. Yeah, Jesus. I've never been, 
<laughs> Thank to you. a restaurant where the chef's <laughs> image is just plastered all over the wall like wallpaper. And, and like multiple ones. Like oh, everywhere. You, like, and his images Wait. are not like him working. No. It's him posing. Yeah. Yeah. Maybe like it's funny if we do like shots from the, uh, from the kitchen. Yeah. And it's like, here's me in, in my new Vegas restaurant. It's like, no, I'm posing. Dude, yeah. it's, it's really and, confusing. And the, and the thing is, it's absolutely clear the guys watched Scarface way too many times because yeah. every pose was him like snarling. You know, yeah. all he needed was like a big like M80 gun. And it was like. it was kind of like a like the interior was kind of aggressive, like like a 15 yeah. year old would have like, done it because there was like a, there was like images of like a, like a Spartan helmet yeah. and like um, it, like swords and the uh, the 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 bathroom looked like. Um, I don't know, like not, a Russian disco yeah, not, type of thing. Not to offend anybody in the room, but like it was almost, it was almost ridiculously Turkish, or it was like it, it, was, it was almost like a character. It was a caricature of something, but it was. It, it was wasn't Turkish. It was just it was, like childish. Yeah, I don't know. It was weird. It was a weird thing. <laughs> wow. But it was the food. Was I don't good. know what you meant to say there, but that did not come out <laughs> oh. as I think you uh, intended it to. Uh, Perhaps not. Yeah, yeah. No. Okay. But anyway, it was it was a weird. It's a weird scene. It was a weird scene at this the restaurant. Food, the food was the good. Food was the food excellent. was amazing. And, they, and the guys did a really good job. Yeah. Um, so my highlight, thank you for asking. <laughs> you just came <laughs> today. Yeah, no, no, I was here yesterday. But, like, I mean, you're like, you're known as Pasha Petrovic here. Like, <laughs> That's right. I mean, no, it's, so the, the you're a yoga of, local. I'm going to say something in. without trying to get overly emotional, but I, uh, uh, I excused myself from the festivities after dinner last night. I actually went around town uh, and walked down to the river. And the reason why I did is because I realized when I would look back in my, my memories of my social media that this was two years to the week um, that we finalized our deal to acquire Peak when I was mm. at Zynga. Oh, wow. um, and uh, a real special moment for, for me, for Zynga, especially for, I think, for Peak and the, and the Turkish gaming ecosystem. And it just gives me so much joy to have, to have played a very little part in that. And it was really cool to walk around where we actually had our, our final dinner um, with the team um, before we uh, signed on the dotted, or after we signed on the dotted line, uh, and just pre-COVID, um, yeah, but uh, yeah, but that was pretty cool. So uh, this this place has a special place in my heart for that, and unfortunately did not get a chance to do it subsequently yeah. um, with with uh, with Rollick. But for for Graham and Peak, that was uh, that was a definitely a special time, and especially that one. That was a big big yeah. watershed moment for the industry, yeah. and to yeah. have been a played a part of that was pretty cool. I actually have a question about that. I heard a, a rumor here Ooh, just downstairs. Uh, this okay. is. Uh, Crest was there, that, um, that when the Graham acquisition happened, the rumor said yeah. that you didn't know that they didn't make the game themselves. And of course he knew. Yeah. No, we knew that the de we, we had to sign an employment agreement yeah. with, the, with the designer yeah. based in San Francisco exactly. who developed the game. Yeah, so yeah. this is just cutting the, uh, the wings from the rumor. Yes. It's not true. Absolutely they definitely knew. Because he's former EA and all of our, yeah. all, most of our leadership. And by the way, from Chris was defending. He was, was like, of course. Of course. Yeah, of course. course. Like, what are you talking about? What kind of due diligence yeah, is that? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> what? <Yeah. laughs> Here's your check. Oh, by the way. Yeah. <laughs> can, can I tell a quick, two quick stories? So um, I, I, I worked closely with the Graham team. And... Uh, and uh, went, so they, um, you know, they were here and then they moved to London. The leadership did, but the studio. The, well, they, stu they created a studio in London too. So Correct. They, they moved a lot of the studio over, some of the studio. And a lot of them stayed here too, so they had right. two studios. And um, I was living in London and they had actually offered me uh, uh, the CMO role and I turned it down because I, I loved the team, but there was something else I wanted to do. And, but I stayed in, good, in, in close contact and I moved to London and they were like, hey, uh, we bought this game. Why don't you help us think through like the go-to-market and help us build a team because we're going to need a big team to launch this game. And so I kind of came in as like interim CMO and I was going to the London office like three days a week. And it was, <laughs> so uh, it was, 
all men that had moved, right? Like single guys, young single guys had moved like, hey, opportunity to move from, you know, who wants to go? And so that office was just like a frat house. Yeah. It was wild. So they had a Turkish chef who just cooked breakfast, lunch, and dinner. And these guys showed up at like noon and stayed till like midnight every day, just drinking and like playing video, you know, after hours. Hammersmith, right? Yeah, and Hammersmith, yeah. Um, and because uh, uh, Khan's, I think Khan's dad owned the, the complex or whatever. Uh, anyway, um, it was just like the most fun atmosphere. And I was like, this is the, because uh, Graham had this really cool uh, operating model where they just worked Monday to Thursday. And then Friday was just like uh, a game jam every, every Friday. And so they just like experimented, they just built stuff. And it was like, I, I thought that was just like the most perfect environment I'd ever seen for making games. Because everyone was like, a f I mean, and this is not achievable, right? And if you scale, this, this doesn't scale that well. And, well but, but everyone was like friends because they all moved over together, yep. right? And they, they, they hired local people after that. But like everyone's friends, they were all there by themselves. They didn't know anybody. And so they just hung out all the time, uh, played video games and talked about, you know, cool video games that they could make. And like a bunch of their, I think their best games came out of that environment. Uh, so other, uh, and we just, we just, and they always threw like awesome parties. We, we, my wife was really close with them too. So we just over, we're always at the office, just like <laughs> these big blowout parties. This place got trashed. Like, and then like didn't even get that cleaned up. Like the next day we'd show up and say, like, what? <laughs> anyway, uh, and then second story. So I, I was in Istanbul like many years ago. And Sirdar, the CEO of Peak, was like, hey, you're coming to Istanbul. Like, let's meet up. Like, let's go to lunch, and I want to show you the, the Peak office and stuff. I, was, I don't remember what I was coming for. Uh, I was coming uh, just to visit some friends. And so we go to this, we go to the, the Peak office. It was amazing. It was overlooking the river. And then we go to this restaurant, and uh, we're eating. And Sirdar was like, he's just like, you're blown away by his energy. He's just such an energetic, like, frenetic guy. He, like, just, just like this, this, this ball of just, just, uh, just kinetic energy. And so we're eating, and... And he's like, hey, let's walk back to the office. It was downhill. Let's walk back to the office. It's a nice day out. It's like beautiful weather. Let's walk back to the office. Uh, we just had a big meal. I was like, yeah, sure. So we walk like 10 feet. <laughs> and this taxi comes. All right, ta taxi time. <laughs> and we went back to the office. <laughs> it's like too slow, boring. <laughs> All right, any other? I have other great stories to share, but I don't know right. if this is the time. Maybe not, maybe not yeah. context appropriate. No. All right, on to the news stories. Okay. All right, here we go. Uh, PlayStation Sub. So I know this is not relevant to mm -hmm. free-to-play, but it's something we have to cover generally because this is a big announcement. So basically, Sony announces the fact that we have the Plus Essential, the Plus Extra, and the Plus Premium. And the only thing remarkable about these announcements is how unremarkable it really is um, because, frankly, they should consolidate into two. This doesn't compete at all with Xbox, and I think the bigger thing here is that <laughs> the, the, the sub has absolutely nothing to do with streaming. Streaming is another footnote in the world of, of, of these subscriptions for both Microsoft and Sony. And so if I hear Nuzu putting this in their number for streaming, I am going to just destroy them, okay? <laughs> so, because 99% of the value of these subs is going to be uh, downloadable games. It has nothing to do with streaming, so let's make sure that Newzoo does not, and is listening, does not put this in. Um, anyway, I think what I was, I've been saying this a while, is that Sony is not going to compete directly against Microsoft. Microsoft is in its own lane in terms of building a, a content subscription for new games. Sony is focused on building new games and selling them, you know, um, ad hoc, right, or um, a la carte. And the, this sub is just a catalog sub that is meaningless, really. And, and it's not going to really change the dynamic of what Microsoft is doing. So anybody have any comments Why do you on think that? it doesn't compete with, with Xbox, Game Pass? 
Because Game Pass is, is a new game subscription. Because they're not putting frontline games in the Yeah, yeah that, that, that's a huge value prop. When you're paying, I don't know what it is, 180, 170, 160 yeah. or something, that's really, really valuable yeah. to have all the new games coming from Microsoft, particularly given how many studios they own, particularly with Activision yeah. and, and Bethesda and all that stuff. What do you so think's preventing them from taking that leap of going head to head? Because I've said a million times, this business model doesn't work, right? You right. cannot make the numbers work. On a subscription model. On a subscription model, content. Yep. right. And, and, then, and it's challenging for for Sony compared to Microsoft, because for Microsoft, Xbox is like, what, 10% of all the revenue? Yeah. And for Sony, PlayStation is about 30% of all the revenue, so it's much bigger of a business unit. Yeah. It's also probably 50% of the profit. Yeah, and so. then like when I'm looking at it, it's like I got a couple of notes. It's like, as you said, they don't drop the new titles on the, on the, on the subscription, which is different than with the Microsoft, so that's already huge. They don't have the, uh, the $1 priced entry point another uh, pretty challenging thing, and they don't have the PC SKUs, which is, uh, yeah. which is a really problematic, because that's how I have the, uh, the pass, because it's on my PC, and then through that you have an Xbox that you're paying, and the kind of cool questions there is like, how do you keep basically the players on your subscription, because that's what you're relying on to make that buck, to make more than 70, to make that 140, what they would be paying of, of two games, because they have now would have to keep on paying for the full year, and essentially, it's like with any content business where you have to rely on new blockbuster releases, just like with Netflix or HBO. And for, for Sony, which is known for these amazing narrative-driven games that are you know, beautiful and quite expensive to make, how are they going to kind of battle that content treadmill? Because essentially, they have to release now more of these games, and they always have to break. And you kind of have to have almost one every month, because the core players will be, well, at least every second month. And they have only now only one the sort, of, sort of a game that can keep players for a longer time, which is Bungie, because they don't have a lot of you know, live service games that would be extending. Because I play, pay for, for example, I pay for the Xbox Pass because of FIFA. I mean, you can you essentially pay, play FIFA throughout the year. It's, it's the kind of game you go back to. There's some other ones that you can go back to because they're th these long lifetime games. I don't think Sony has other than, than, uh, than Bungie ones. No, I mean... And, or and the Bungie one. <laughs> right. And I don't think Sony's going to have any live service games. But, but what do you time. think? Why, why are companies doing that? Like, what do you why, why do you think Sony's making this move if it's so difficult to... No, but they're not. That's what the whole point is. They're not making this move. They're not doing a paid subscription for new content. They're getting, doing a paid subscription. They're basically extending PlayStation Plus so that it, it includes catalog Like games. a back catalog payment. Yeah, not system. new games. But, right. but in the future... But your point still stands about yeah. filling the funnel with new games. Right? Yeah, There's exactly. Higher cadence. So how many developers that develop for Sony are still independent or, or you know, that, that could be acquired? None, right? There I are, mean, there are hardly any. Are there now. any even left? No, no. There are, so, I was going to say more M and A, but I don't even know if that's possible. Yeah, nah. and then that's why they've been investing. Like Haven was the latest acquisition that had already sort of a live service model. But but just looking at this, let's say seven years in the future, at least five years in the future, kind of when we're thinking about the next iteration of the consoles, like will there be one or would it be cloud based? And if it's cloud based, then you kind of have to have a subscription model. Yeah. So I think. I think strategically, this is the right move. The question is, like, are they taking the move? Like, do they have to take it too fast now, where they don't yet have the content to fill up? But eventually, I mean, Sony has amazing content. Like these games, like like Uncharted, God of War, all these games are blockbusters. All these games, like, are the ones that you would want to play, uh, that that justify definitely the subscription price. The question is, are there enough of those, and how they can go to a place where? where there's a little bit more lifetime for each of these games, because currently they, they, they don't have you know, the, the end game, essentially. 
Yeah, I think it's, it's also, I think it's a good point, like just kind of laying the groundwork for like the streaming future, but post, post hardware future. But uh, the other thing is like Sony already has a subscription. Like this is not an introduction no. of a subscription. There's PlayStation Plus, like basically if you have a PlayStation, you have to purchase PlayStation Plus because it's the only way to play multiplayer games, right? It's just a, it's just a cost. It's just like an added t tax on being a PlayStation owner. Yeah. This is just at stratifying the, the, the catalog, uh, catalog yeah. of, of, of options, right? And this is... And one of the upgrades, right, is the streaming. And then I don't remember what the top tier offers above. No, that is the, that is the, the top, top tier. tier the mid-tier is just a catalog of, is of, of old games. And then right. the, the, the super tier is streaming, streaming as well as more catalog right. of older games. Yeah, but, but I think it will be competing with, with Xbox eventually. No, no. The so I think is a big thing, though. We're, I think we're getting a little bit confused. Yeah. So the reason it's not competing with, with Microsoft is it's not new games. Yeah, right? yeah, yeah. So like. When God of War comes out, it's not part of the subscription. When the next uh, Last of Us or Uncharted is coming, it's not part of the subscription. All it is is catalog games. So it's mm -hmm. games that people don't play anymore. So, and they, as far as I understand it, at least in the next 10 years, they're not going to be building a subscription that, that has new games because wow. they just can't do it. It's well, not possible. I still want to say Xbox wasn't like a slam dunk off the, off the bat. Well, because they so didn't have enough the, content. Well, exactly. So, but so they, we now have they to do. review Sony also from this perspective as like, they are kind of where Xbox or Microsoft was a couple of years ago, and they ramped up no, to no, a current. I, but again, Microsoft could give a shh. I said almost ten percent. Microsoft does not care about the mice nuts that is that is revenue from this this gaming division, right? It, it's all about building subscriptions, right? And so yeah. they can it can be a loss leader for them forever because they make so much money, right? Sony can't do that. It's like 50% of their profits is from Sony, so they are stuck. Right. They are stuck. And I talk to Sony people all the time, and they're just like, they hate what Microsoft is doing because they just can't compete in that they're world. they're undervaluing the market. And so in theory, they should gain, lose share. Sony should lose share for, for, for the next Is this subscription thing bad thing for developers or a good thing? It doesn't matter because it's catalog. I, or are you saying the, yeah, the, like, the topic no, in the general? Microsoft yeah. subscriptions? Oh, it's horrible for everybody. Oh, it's yeah. horrible. Yeah. I, I, the longer term implications for the industry are, are horrific yeah. in the sense that it devalues content for one thing. It de-incentivizes people to make games that are competing directly with Microsoft's games. So like building an epic RPG. Actually, that's not a good example. If, 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 if uh, Call of Duty is released for exclusively at Microsoft, uh, Microsoft's platforms, then why would anyone ever make a shooter for Microsoft's platforms? Because you're competing directly against something that's part of the subscription, stuff like that. And so it creates real perverse incentives from a development perspective, and, and, and I worry about... Maybe that could be Sony's ace in the hole, right? The, the, they'll say we're the developer-friendly platform. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Right. That's yeah. possible. And you yeah. can't be... Oh, I'm sorry. It can't be really a, a third-party developer either on this one because... no. If the platform holder already has invested a lot in their own yeah, content, right. what are they going to promote right. when you open up the Xbox Pass or when you open up a place? So what's going to be on the top front page? Is it going to be their own game or is it right. going to be your game? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. The subs are, yeah, they, they are tough for developers because like, it's just a race to the bottom, A. And B, like, you end up in this weird middle ground where, okay, your game goes up like heavily discounted or free. So you get a lot of DAU, but the console audience is not very receptive to mm. DLC and to IAPs. And, or ads. Outriders is a great example. They, they really got like a super high DAU and they yeah. just... But you can't, do, you can't do anything with it. So it's just like wasted DAU. It's yeah. really hard to, to utilize that and monetize that. Like I, I work in that sphere uh, on some projects and like we're trying to do innovative stuff but then the platform owners also have a lot of control, right? Like if you think about Apple being a closed ecosystem that's mm. you know, heavily with he like sort of like heavy input from the platform owner, Xbox and PlayStation are you know, even sort of more 
of a closed environment. And it's really tough to do innovative stuff. And you just, you're just never going to get like a full implementation of, implementation of free-to-play on console, I think. There's like some asymptote that you hit that's like some weird hybrid version of console free-to-play. And it's kind of like a worst of both worlds kind of thing. Um, but it's great for the platform owners, right? Yeah, and the, and the last point we'll make on this and we'll move on. But to be clear, this is a great value prop for the customer. Like, there's no doubt that the subscription for Microsoft is a really, really highly valued product from the customer's perspective. Customers don't lose in this scenario because they're kind of battling it out. But longer term, customers could lose in terms of, uh, of options and choices in terms of content. That's what my worry is. Mm. Um, all right, the next one. I mean, this is a huge story, and it seemed to be buried, but I think it's getting more and more coverage right now, is that the biggest game in crypto, the biggest success story in crypto, just got bilked. The customers of this game got bilked for $625 million, right? I mean, it's a disaster, like absolute fiasco that these, this, this platform that is supposed to have the most secure system in the world because it's of the blockchain has now been ripped off for $625 million. And so any other company in this planet would have been destroyed by this news, but Maven, I think, is just going to move on, right? And so it, it, it absolutely blows my mind and, and, and why this crypto market is, is so insane in a lot of ways and, and, and could, will continue to be insane because I'm sure they're going to be unscathed and do another, like, billion dollar round in the next six months, you know? But um, I, I, am not, I am not no expert on this stuff, obviously, but what, what I would say is that like some of the people that are around here were basically saying that this is likely an inside job, right? Yeah, Where yeah. the only way that they could have actually probably done this is from someone that worked at Maven. They right? said it, I mean, they, the, the COO said, like explicitly, it wasn't. They don't. They don't think it is. Well, I, Dude, I think they, a, they have like, like a, a recorded week. from his yacht. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> they had like six days to spin as much as they could on this thing, you know. And 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 that's what people do, right? They get PR firms that are just like hired just to handle this shit. Damn it! Why do I keep yeah, cursing? Anyway, so who's, who's keeping track? By the way, I know. Yeah, <laughs> seriously. Um, so anyway, I I am very concerned about like. Uh, no, sorry. People should be concerned <laughs> about this, and, 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 and I'm sure it'll get more coverage. I, I would hope that there's like some kind of like oversight or some kind of like someone's held accountable for this. this, kind of this so, so what happens? Like, really, I, what, what, what I, happened? I can give a high-level overview. Yeah. Or Chris, do you feel more comfortable? No. All right. <laughs> so I just want to I just want to shit on it when, when you're done right, talking well, about it. Me, me too. Save me yeah. some save me some room. Yeah. But so. They have a, a, a basically a bridge that got hacked, right? So they have the, uh, you know, there's Ethereum, which people have as, as a cryptocurrency, right? And there's a bridge which allows them to convert Ethereum to this sort of native coin Ronin. for uh, Ronin for um, for Axie, right? So Ronin is the blockchain, and I think the coin's name is Ronin too, right? So you'd convert your Ethereum to Ronin via this bridge, right? And the bridge. Um, it, you know, it's, it's, it's basically, it's, it's the, what they did was they kind of cut corners, right? So instead of using uh, a, a proof of work uh, formulation uh, for sort of proving the authenticity of the transactions, which is very energy intensive, right? So it's cost more to, to maintain, they used a proof of uh, stake, right? And they only had a couple of these nodes, right? So I'm assuming like a node is just a server, right? And so these nodes have to sort of like all in unison uh, authenticate the transactions. And what happens, though, is you know, basically like a 50% attack, right? So if they control more than 50% of the nodes, then they, there's basically like a, almost like a man in the middle. They, they control the, authent uh, the, the authentication of the transactions. And so if you, they had like eight nodes or six nodes, or maybe it was eight. I don't remember. But there's some 
very small number of nodes because they were, remember, they were trying to save money. And so someone took control of four of them or whatever, some majority of them. And then they were basically able to sort of authenticate all the transactions themselves. And so they took, basically just took all the money out of, uh, off of this uh, proprietary blockchain, Ronin, uh, which was held in Ethereum and then, um, and then some stablecoin pegged to the US dollar. Right? So like 600 million of it was in Ethereum and then 25 million was in this, uh, this stablecoin. And a lot of that came from the Axie treasury too. But then a lot of that was, uh, you know, player money. It was, it was player, because the, the money was held there uh, to sort of backstop. The, the Ethereum was held there to backstop the Axie uh, currency, and then they could, if they wanted to pull it back out, it got traded back to Ethereum, and they pulled it back into their wallet, right? Um, and so there's a couple of things. One is they, they, they cut corners, right? And apparently, they had actually uh, rebuilt the system or shifted it over to a proof-of-work system, but they never had... Uh, deactivated the old system, right? So the old system still had like keys uh, to access the, the blockchain, and so that was, that was just an oversight. Um, and then uh, they've said that they're going to fully reimburse everyone that lost money. The problem, and I saw some really sad story yesterday. It was like some family had their life savings in this currency. They lost in it all. Who, what family has their life savings? Yeah, what moron would ever do in that? Family in Southeast Asia. I mean, well, it could like, be like yeah, a, a Fili yeah. Filipino family, right? Oh, and okay, got it. Where, you know, they were all sort of... They went all in, yeah. Yeah, they, uh, but anyway... Um, it's a dirty business. Where are all those guys? Did they <laughs> <laughs> they're, 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 they're ducking the heat, man. Uh, but so they've said they're going to they're gonna fully reimburse everyone, but the only way to do that is to either get a vote, right, to use treasury funds to do that, or to sell equity. Right, so they've got to raise this oh, money wow. or pull it out of their treasury through a vote, right, to, in order to do that. So, that, I mean, this, that's, that's a big problem, right? Yeah. I mean, if they have to sell a part of their company in order to pay the customers back because their funds got stolen, I mean, that's a, that's a, that's a massive, it's just exposing this massive vulnerability in these types of games. And like what Eric and I have talked about, and I'd love to get your opinion on this, Chris, is like, my... When I was at GDC, it was pretty clear that there's a second wave of these crypto games that are coming. They're better designed. They have sort of better economies. They're actually, you know, there's, there's more of like a game design, game design sensibility to them rather than like a weekend hobby project that just blew up, right? Um, and, and those seem like, okay, if there's a future for Web3 games, that's it. It's the second wave of games where there, you know, there was time spent and there was thought, you know, invested into building these economies. The first wave is kind of poisoning the well for the second wave. Right? If customers are like, no way am I playing a Web3 game. I read this news article that people lost their life savings because yeah. this got hacked because the game designers who are not accountable for anything took a shortcut. Like, how do I know that that's not going to happen with this other game that I play? So yeah. it really is causing problems for the ecosystem. Yeah, and I just thought about this. Like, you know, the, the comparable story back when free-to-play was, like, coming up was, like, a kid spend, like, $2,000 yeah, right. on, like, some stupid kid, child Why? game, right? Now we're talking about $625 million. Let me also... Um, <laughs> Ask Eric if the way you just described the the infiltration, how much of that is specific to the 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 way that Web three protocols and, and security is set up versus this just sounded like a server hack that could have happened to any of us, right? It wasn't necessarily Web three specific in terms of you didn't go into a secure ledger and pull things off. This was just literally sitting in an unprotected server. Right. These digital assets, not in any more of an encrypted way than than. You know, most data sits, right? So well, well, yeah, but that's, that's the difference. So, like, when there's a data breach for a Web3 gaming company, it's real dollars that could <laughs> yeah, be yeah. looted versus, oh, some personal data or whatever, right? Mm -hmm. It's because, you know, the, 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 the effect of centralization is, is that you get these 
well, systems that in theory should be sort of like more secure, right? right? Because you've got a bank doing it that's, that's spent years investing in security or whatever, or a credit card company or yeah. Apple or, or Google, Apple or right? Google, right. Um, but all that stuff, it's still, it's the, 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 the chain of custody of the money still goes to like a financial institution, right. which is you know, governed by regulation, right. which has had decades of time to build security, right? <laughs> Versus like, this company is essentially a financial institution. Right. And they cut corners on, they, they admitted that we cut corners on security because we don't have enough people. We don't really have the expertise. We're a small company. This blew up. It took us by surprise, yeah. right? And so like, that's just, that's, uh, to me, that's, that's a difficult, uh, that's a difficult position to be in is to entrust startups essentially with the responsibility of a financial institution. This yeah. is what makes the case for when you're talking about next wave of, of games. And I, I think Many companies, including the ones you probably talked to last week, when they talk about making the next wave, they're talking about making games eventually, whether it's the next wave or the wave after, for the mass market. Right. Right. Mm -hmm. And that's why the bull case for removing cryptocurrency as, as a currency layer and just defaulting to fiat currency is strong, right? Because yeah. you have a currency methodology that the mass market user understands. Yeah. And the security and protection of institutions that are built, purpose built to prevent this from happening, yeah. right? You can still buy and sell NFTs and, and, and yeah. exact digital ownership, yeah. but you don't need this artificial crypto layer of right. Ronin currency that doesn't mean anything to my mom or your mom yeah. or right. your uncle. Valuation change is like, also right. super so fast. This makes the case for it, and, and, and the audience that this next wave is developing games for is not the current audience, so I think there's gonna be a disconnect on that front as well. Right. Is, is this it, the end of Axie? Ooh. I don't think so. I mean, they're launching the new game, right? They said they're gonna launch the new game. They're, they, didn't, they didn't delay to launch the new game at all. No, I think so. Uh, how much did they raise in the last round? That was quite significant. Oh, I don't remember. It was a lot. Hundreds, yeah. if not. Was and it a billion? But shareholder lawsuits, yeah. I mean, something. Like, yeah. You know, like this, this, is, this, this is an this ending. This is really serious. Yeah, this is serious. Is it 625 And then just given that that, that was a raise along, like a, a while back. Yeah. Based on certain representations. Exactly. Yeah. And yeah, yeah. they had the resources to make, like, to make the type of game that they were making is not $100 million game. Like, let's be right. honest. <laughs> yeah. Let's be really honest, especially out of Vietnam. Right. So you had the resources to fix these things that you clearly knew weren't done properly. Yeah. So it, like, will any heads roll? Like, I mean. Has to. Has to, right? You'd think. I mean, imagine if Apple or Google lost 600 million of our revenue. If any like, company. Know, it'd be a scandal, it'd be a scandal. Yeah. There'd, be there'd be testimony in Congress. Yes, yes. the CEO <laughs> would have to really? go. No, but yeah. the thing is, okay, two things. This follows a $300 million hack last month. Yeah, it's been a billion so far. Right, the and then day. second, they knew about <laughs> this on March 23rd. This happened on March 23rd. We found out about it yesterday. What happened in that intervening week? Did they not know about it? For, if they didn't know about it for a week, then that really is a scandal. Yeah. Uh, yeah if they did know about it. They have PR and legal people in a room trying yeah. to figure out what to do. It's nuts. Anyway, that lends us to the last story before we uh, conclude is speaking of uh, closed ecosystems that I throw a lot of shade on, yeah. um, Apple. Um, so Apple seems to be losing losing battles and likely losing the war, right? You have uh, Spotify doing a deal, you have like side-loading things, like regulations are coming down. It feels like things are changing for Apple, and we know that you know, fingerprinting blocking is coming and all this other stuff, so I guess the question for you all is, I think I know what's gonna happen, but I, I may be mistaken, I don't know, but what is gonna happen with Apple this year or the next two years from this regulation perspective? Are we gonna reduce the fee to 15%, which is what a lot of people are telling me that that might happen? Um, I mean, are they gonna have to or be required to open up the platform to third party? I think there should be a cap on the fee. 
like yeah, once you've paid dollar value, like a dollar value, like uh, once you pay, like I don't know, ten million. It's like a it's royalty just, guarantee. That's that's it for the year. Like no right. more. Yeah. That makes sense. That's probably easier to institute. Of too. course. It would, yeah, Without I, I, getting technical, like, what do you think is going to happen? Like, well, if you were, if let you me break some news. Some yes. big breaking news. This happened <coughs> late last night, U.S. time. Um, so, uh, so uh, did anybody see my meme video that I made with the uh, the Mexican guy, and you superimposed the words on the bottom? He's laughing. Mm, I did. <laughs> Let's you, go to the tape. No. No. no, no, well, no. I, I was going to play my presentation. It's like four <laughs> minutes long. It would have eaten up into. No one saw that? <laughs> Somebody raise your hand. Uh, it's got a lot Walk of, it, it yeah, a lot of views on, yeah. on YouTube. Yeah, anyway, so, and I talked a little bit on the presentation, but <laughs> basically the Dutch competition authority, and there's, there, the, the thing is like there's been these sort of like uh, domino falling dynamic of like specific countries intervening with their, their competition authorities saying, hey, look, what you're doing with, um, you know, payments, uh, uh, control, uh, in your platforms to both Google and, and, and Apple um, is not consistent with our sort of competition uh, laws, and so you have to open it up, right? So that happened in South Korea. That was kind of aimed at Google, but it applied to Apple. Um, it happened in Japan with the reader apps, which, which Apple kind of complied with globally. Uh, and then it happened in the Netherlands, and the Dutch competition authority said, look, they, they originally scoped it for all the app store. They said, you can't only uh, you can't only allow app developers to use iTunes payments, you've got to allow alternative payments. And then for whatever reason, over the course of like two years of investigating this, they scoped it specifically to dating apps, right? So they said, hey, Apple, you've got to allow dating apps to offer alternative payments. Um, which makes zero sense, which, by the way. Which makes, well, <laughs> yeah. yeah, it's whatever. Seems arbitrary. Yeah. I think it was a dating app that brought it to the uh, company. Anyway, so Apple said, okay, fine, we'll comply with that. But if you want to use an alternative payments app, you've got to... Uh, first of all, you've got to institute this two entitlements, right? Um, you can only have iTunes payments or uh, your alternative payment in your app. You can't have both side by side. And you've got to submit a separate bundle, a separate app bundle that just for the Netherlands store that, that, that utilizes these entitlements. So like no developer in their right mind is going to maintain a, separate, a, a second bundle yeah. for the Netherlands market. Right, it's just not going to happen, right? So, like, basically, they, they they set so many, and you have to have to have this pop-up modal that that is really scary. It's just like the ATT prompt. It says, "Hey, this developer wants to use alternative payments in their app. Yeah. Those are not secured by Apple. Be careful." <laughs> yeah. Like, no one's going to click through that, right? So they imposed so many, you know, restrictions on this that no developer was ever going to, you know, actually uh, uh, do that. And and the Dutch competition authority said, "Hey." Uh, you're breaking the law, and we're going to charge you 5 million euros a week um, until you comply. And so Apple let that charge up, up to like 50 million euros. And so as of right now, the, the total aggregate charge is $55 million to Apple, which to Apple is nothing. Yeah. Right? And so last night they said, okay, we're going to soften our stance here because I think they're getting close to the limit of the fee. Um, and they said, we're going to um, change the wording on the modal. It's a little bit softer. And we're going to get rid of the second, uh, the, app, the, the, the standalone app bundle requirement, right? Now, OK, you say, who cares? Dating apps in the Netherlands, like, you know, uh, everyone there is inbred anyway. Then, yeah, I'm kidding. <laughs> Easy. Kidding, 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 kidding. I'm joking. I love, I love uh, well, the Netherlands. That's why they're so tall. Yeah, I know. I know. That's not true. I love the Netherlands. Anyway, bad joke. <laughs> But why, why should I care? This is very, you know, very limited relevance here. But <laughs> no, about dating apps. Then. So that, that's probably a bellwether for how they're going to approach this globally, right? They're going to be forced to do it globally. So they're kind of softening their stance a little bit, uh, which to me is significant because 
Um, you know, two days ago they announced that uh, they, 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 they are now going to allow reader apps globally to link to like account management stuff on the web, right? So they're very slowly sort of like softening their stance on this stuff, which to me, uh, in, you know, sort of is a signal that they're sort of reading the tea leaves and they, they probably can't delay this too much longer. I think if it happens country by country, they can deal with that and it's actually more of an imposition on developers. But if the EU uh, does move forward with the Digital Markets Act, which I think they will, well, that's EU-wide, right? And so then it's kind of game over. You might as well just go worldwide with it. And then the U.S. has the Open App Markets Act, which is, is, institutes some similar restrictions or regulations on uh, the way app stores operate. So I think they, they, they see which way the wind is blowing, and they're getting ready for like a future where they don't have total control over payments. Now, the Google thing with Spotify is interesting because Google reduced the subscription fee from year one. So remember, Google, it was 30% year one, 15% year two and on for subs, which is Spotify, right? Uh, but they reduced that last year to 15% from the very get-go. Which is so, in line with Apple. Well, which is in line with Apple's. Well, no, Apple is still 30% year one. Not, not for like HBO and Spotify, they have different deals. You mean they've like carve, they have specific one-to-one -one deals? Yeah, they don't have, they don't pay. 30%. That's interesting. Well, that could that could be true. Yeah, well, that was that was actually rumored with Amazon uh, allowed Prime to be subscribed to in the app, and there was a rumor that they had a, a deal that was just 50%. But I don't think Spotify. What, then why would Spotify agree to this partnership with Google if it was 15? Right? It's got to be less. Yeah. So I mean, Spot, to my mind, Spotify is probably not doing this if it's more than 10. Right? So I think 10 feels like a number that could be reasonable. That most people would say, hey, great. You know, uh, this should be a cap. I even think, look, I mean, we, we, we've hypothesized about this as an industry for a long time. I know you and I, when we worked together, Kabam talked about this, which is, A, which of the two platforms is going to jump first in, 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 you know, in, in full? And then B, what, is a, what does a good state look like for our industry? Yeah. And I feel like, I don't want to speak for all of us in the room, but I've talked to enough people in the industry. I feel like if we all woke up tomorrow and found out that Google and Apple together said, our new fee is 15%. Yeah and all the legal stuff goes away, and I think as an industry, we'd be fine, Yeah. right? I mean, doesn't that feel like it would just clean the slate of all this mess and disjointedness mm -hmm. and fragmentation that's happening country by country and lawsuits yeah. and platforms? Like, it just, and, and to your point earlier about Microsoft, like, these companies are so big that half, 50% no, reduction in their, in their fee, like, should be mice nuts, to quote you, right? Like, a hundred percent, right? And, and then what the so heck? So what prevents it from happening, I guess? Yeah, what, what the heck would we talk about then? It'd be yeah, so yeah, boring. Yeah. But would everybody here in the room be okay with 15%? Yeah. Everybody I think cool 15, 15 is a good number. 15 yeah. from Apple and no, Google, yeah. That's a good yeah. one. Yeah. yeah, then the more money goes to advertising platforms. Yeah. Well, because they're making the money by virtue of the privacy yeah. stuff Which going, right. feeding their own Apple. ad platforms, yeah, right? Yeah, yeah. So it's win-win for them. Yeah. And then they right. get more friendly with developers again. And yeah. it's just strange to me. I don't well, know. until until people get sick of 15 and they want it to be 10, right? Yeah. Like, Super I remember. Slope. But we signed a collective bargaining agreement saying we won't <coughs> sue you for 10 years. Right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, when I was at, when I was at DeChalk, there was like this, this guy who was like early uh, J2ME, right? And he said that he was at the, uh, the WWDC 20, 2007, I guess, when Steve Jobs introduced the App Store. And he was like, and the fee for developers is going to be 30%. And everyone's like, yeah! Because the J2ME was like 80% platform. Yeah, the carriers had the Or they, got, or they sure. just got like a, a development oh, right, yeah, take, right. right? They got a fee, right? So like they smartphone were excited days. about 30%. Yeah. Yeah. Sorry, pre-smartphone. Right? Yeah, yeah, it was 50-50 with AT&T and all those yeah. other. Yeah, yeah, that's right. Like 600 SKUs is unbelievable. But what, so I guess the, the big question is, what prevents them from pulling off this Band-Aid and just doing it? I think there's a team of accountants at Apple that says, look, if we can drag this out for five more years, we make... $10 billion or $20 billion. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. there's just a dollar amount that they've got there. That's big enough for, for the parent company to care. Well, from, a, from a financial perspective, I mean, from a, from a 
I didn't introduce myself. I just realized this up there all this time. But you know, you need no. I, I guess not. <laughs> but from a, from a stock perspective, their whole story has been going from a 15 times multiple to like a 25, 30 right. times multiple on the idea that they're building a digital services model, right? right? A, a SaaS type model with with all their different services, and they're just leaning in on that so much and like by reducing it by half. <laughs> but you look know, at how like, much you guys were showing earlier. How much their ad, their take of the ad money has has grown. Yeah, from yeah. Three hundred. No, no, no. That makes up for it and more, right? Yeah. Doesn't it? Well, maybe. maybe. I mean, it, it's four billion is still pretty small for Apple. But think the the big elephant in the room with ATT is that Google Search has a total complete carve out from ATT. Right? You go on, a, on Chrome yeah. or Safari, you load up Google.com, the Google employees are leaving because they, <laughs> they, they, they legally cannot be here for this. Uh, no, but you go to Google.com, you do a search, the and results. Now they're running. Well, they started running. Oh, they got the cops? No. Yeah. Uh, you, go, you do a search, there's no ATT uh, imposition there. In, and the, in the app or on the web? On the web, but in an app. In the Chrome's Google, an app. Chrome app. Yeah. Chrome's an app. That's right. Uh, Safari's an app. Yeah. Uh, or if you do it from the, the left screen, right? That's estimated to be $20 billion this fiscal year. That's 40% of services revenue. Four billion, yeah, that's fine, we'll take it. But 20 billion, all EBIT, no work involved. There's no right. staff that manages that. Maybe there's like one <laughs> BD guy who <laughs> banks his bonus every year and <laughs> <laughs> retreats to Bora Bora. <laughs> hey, we still on Google? Yes, all right, see ya. Yeah. PJ's waiting. <laughs> um, but yeah, anyway, so that's, I think that's the elephant in the room, but like, yeah, maybe the ad stuff makes up for some of that. But I think the other, the other thing here is like, I, I wrote a post about this, like the app store is a game store, right? All the subscription apps, they were getting around this anyway. They were doing, right, you know, right. it was like, wink, wink, we've got an app, but we don't ask you to sign up there. You can do it on the web. On the well, web, everyone right, yeah. knew to sign up on Netflix.com, Spotify.com, HBO.com, whatever. Com, they weren't know. making any money from those companies anyway. It was all games. The Epic uh, lawsuit brought all this out. 70% of the app store revenue comes from games. The rest Not of it- Not counting ad revenue, by the way. Yeah, right? no, yeah, That's no, transaction yeah, yeah. revenue. Right, yeah, the, the IP revenue. Because yeah. they, don't, they don't get a taste of the ad revenue unless it's ASA, right? So, uh, like if, you know, the- No, if you're buying through them, it, they get revenue, right? Right, exactly. Yeah, if you buy their ad but, revenue. But so the thing is, like, I think all they really need to do, they can give away all these concessions to Spotify and whoever, because they weren't paying anyway. It was just kind of annoying. It was annoying that we can't let you register in the, in the, in the app. It's okay, we'll pay you, we'll pay you 10% uh, to, allow, to allow it in the app versus the zero we were paying before all through the web because we'll pro it'll probably net out to you know, uh, an increase for yeah. us. They just need to make sure that game developers keep paying. And I don't know that collectively game developers have enough of a voice to push back on Apple. So I think if they gave away everything else but games and kept IEPs at 30%, then they, they haven't, is they're cutting sleeves off a of vest. Which is not a bad mental image. Right. <laughs> because there are no sleeves to cut off. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. All right. Is that our live twig? Are we done? Yeah, broke some news. <laughs> not, not really. It's like 10 hours old. Q&A? Yeah. Q&A? Yeah, yeah, any questions out there from anybody about anything? We have my, oh yeah, here we go. The first Q&A ever for Twig, right? Yeah, oh, yeah that's true. It's true. Amazing. Yeah. Who's going to be no, the first no, person to ask? The hate oh my gosh! <laughs> Make it a good the question. first question in the history of Twig, right there. Yeah. Like, that's an NFT. Where's the bathroom? Right <laughs> that guy's an NFT. <laughs> where's the bathroom? Yeah, uh, this is Rock. Welcome to Istanbul again. I Thank don't know you. how many times have you heard this, but yeah. welcome. Uh, so I follow your podcast uh, and Joachim's also. Uh, while Shout I'm, out to Joachim. Like, Joachim's yeah. right there. Elite yes. game developers. <laughs> the palest guy in the room. Yeah, yeah we met with him. Uh, so I listen to your podcast when I go to work uh, at in the morning. Uh, so my question is, uh, what do you think about 
the Web3 games, blockchain games, in terms of them uh, bypassing most of the things you just talked about, like in terms of Apple and other platforms cutting a lot of, a lot of fees, but uh, actually blockchain games, in a way, um, bypass those problems. So do you think is that a valid proposition in that way uh, or? Uh, I, I, yeah, yeah. I, I have a strong opinion about that because I think that's one of the things that is not really spoken about at this stage in Web3, which is the primary platform in which these, through which these games get played, which is a platform that's not a high growth platform. Yeah. Right? right. PC gaming, people that play games on their PC, it, this isn't all of a sudden leaning into a high growth market. Um, and it's probably going to compete with people that are already playing games on their PC. And then if it's more casual, trying to bring people back to PC from mobile. I know that there are companion apps that are out there, and I think those will get more increasingly scrutinized as they try to, to be more transactional. If it stays like what you say, which is just a, it's a, it's a companion app where you consume content, but you don't actually transact, that's fine. But I think that's also going to be a, a growth challenge, um, which is going to limit the number of genres or the types of genres I think they're going to be that, that this next wave of, of game companies are making games for. Because we have to remember, the current audience right now is not playing. They're not playing. They're gamifying investments or they're gamifying work yes. right, yeah. through a game interface. Exactly. So, um, but I, I, think it, I think issues aside, I think it's just going to be somewhat of a limitation unless you take the bull case and believe that these games will be like Roblox, right? Which is the consumption happens on mobile, maybe some monetization, but then you have a lot of the, the heavy lifting that's done on the PC side. But I think the fact that it's PC-centric just kind of limits the growth story in my mind. Yeah, yeah. and I'll, I'll, I'll just layer on my thoughts there. It's like when we were doing, going from AAA to free-to-play on mobile, in 2010, 2009, whatever, we were looking at a total addressable market of 7 billion people, right? Because we knew, even then, that smartphones were going to take off, right? It was pretty obvious that ultimately everyone was going to have a smartphone. Well, feature phones were already there, right? So just yeah. replacing yeah. them. Yeah. yeah, it was a replacement thing. It was just how long it would it take as opposed to... So I think that's the biggest challenge, I think, with blockchain in general, is that you're basically dealing with... I mean, I don't know what the number is. Maybe the number of people with wallets or whatever. Two, two million you know? wallets, active yeah. wallets. So it's like... And how is that going to grow over, what is the TAM for the next like five years, 10 years, 15, 20 years, you know? So you just can't do that hockey stick um, at the same scale, It's so difficult to get yeah. into a blockchain game. It's, it's almost impossible. But just even assume that all that difficulty gets removed, right? Yeah. Uh, yeah. We're asking people to come back to PC games, yeah. exempting the Steam players, right? Because those people are not likely going to be into these games. So then yeah. you're asking the mass market to come back to PC. I don't, I don't, I don't know what we're, I mean, I think it's going to be those niche genres. Now, of course, yeah. the blockchain guys, these VCs over here are probably <laughs> saying, you guys are uh, half It's a great question, though. No, how how do you feel about question. it? Yeah, I think it was a great answer. Uh, but um, what about, uh, can I ask another question? Yeah, Keep going. Sure. Yeah. You got the first question, so you get to keep <laughs> yeah, You got the mic. Yeah. You're in control. Now, where's the bathroom? <laughs> <laughs> uh, I, uh, I have also questions about blockchain gaming, actually. Uh, I, I'm a founder of a hyper-casual gaming studio, which was actually acquired by Rolik. Uh, so we do hyper-casual, like if we had a blockchain game that like the, those, the, our players had governance tokens, they would, I think, vote to like remove ads. So I think there's really many problems in uh, governing uh, the games by the players because like you are more, more experienced than I am. I'm like 24 years old. In the, in the industry, like um, game design is a profession, so like adding stuff just by voting, I don't know how it's gonna work that way. 
So uh, do you think there will be like the main glamorous uh, concept behind blockchain is like decentralization in a way. So do you think um, is it going to really be decentralized this market or it's going to be again monopolies like Apple? Mm. Wow. I think decentralization definition will mean not so much what you get to decide but what the game maker asks you to answer if that makes sense. So instead yeah. of having complete democracy over every decision, it's going to be a filtered number of decisions that you're asked to participate in. Which is how democracy works. Right. Exactly. Yeah. Like, maybe <laughs> it's not direct democracy, yeah. But does that make sense? Because I think at the end of the day, there still needs to be some centrality to the, the, the creative process. Otherwise, there'd be nothing done. And many yeah. of these companies that these, these customers are, are playing in or will play in are, are backed by outside investors that need a return, right? So. You, that's not how you can run any business by, by asking a thousand or 10,000 or a million people for their votes on everything. So I think it will be user feedback, but I think it's going to be curated, if that makes sense. Yeah. So you said you're 24 and, and you've had a company be acquired? Yeah, yes. you're smarter than us. Congrats, man. Yes. Yeah, what do yeah. you think? Oh, why, I don't, why don't, I don't you know you come think. up here? Yes. <laughs> what are we doing up here? <laughs> and you found a great home, by the way. <laughs> Thanks. Yeah. Anybody else? Hi, I'm Yuri, Starberry Games. Uh, more traditional question. Uh, with the third-party stars, uh, app stores coming, uh, side-loading coming to the app store, Google, do you think the third-party app store is going to be commoditized and that will be new channels for app distribution? Are they going to be anything meaningful, uh, sizable? Third, you're talking about third-party app. So yeah. Third-party app stores. Exactly. I think that's a question that's been asked and answered for many years now, yeah. right? I think Microsoft tried it, Amazon tried it, Samsung's trying it, Huawei's trying it. I think that it's really all just the penetration of the devices in my mind and the habituation of consumers about what they're used to going to. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So as long as Google Play is the default store on Android phones and as long as Apple is the closed ecosystem, I just yeah, yeah. don't see, right, Eric? I mean, Seifert? I yeah, that's, I, I, mean, I wrote this piece a while back, is, is App Store regulation too little too late? And it's like the default status is so powerful. Yeah. Like that needed to be nipped in the bud early, but it hasn't right. been. And so right. people are just used to, well, App Store is on the phone yeah. and I got my credit card in there. Why would it? Because the, the process of adopting a new App Store means I got to download it somehow. Will Apple allow that within the App Store? Probably not. So I got to go to like a website, download something, or they'll make it very complex and convoluted. Then I got to put my credit card information in there, and then I've got to believe that this is all secure, right? And like, what's well, like, well, I've, I use Apple Pay to buy coffee every day, right? They've got my credit card. It's pretty convenient. Two clicks and you're done. Right. Yeah. So it's like, why would I deviate from that norm, that my, my personal norm, right? I wonder how many use like Samsung store. Like I have Samsung phone and I've had, you know, previously. <laughs> I've, like what is the reason where I would open up the same looking store with the same items, except some of them have like, there's like Samsung Pay. It's like, why would I use that over Google Play yeah. Pay? Well, the, 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 what I look to for guidance here is like Epic did side loading on Android. Right? They, were, they, they took this like, ideological stance, like we're not going to, we've got to go through the App Store on, iPhone, on iOS, but on Google, on, on Android, we're going to just have a side-loaded, downloaded app, and they relented after a little while. It was a disaster. It was a disaster. First of all, it was rife with fraud. There was a lot of fraud. It was fake Fortnite apps. And then they just, they went to Google Play anyway, because that's where you got to go. So Android has this. Android allows side-loading, they allow for alternative app stores, and this, everyone still goes through Google Play. 
There are markets, obviously China being the most yeah. prominent, yeah. where there are alternative app stores, and yeah. that's just more a force of regulation. Right. There are other emerging markets where Google Play has not yet does not have it yet of a footprint. Yeah. But I think that's just a matter of time. Right. Right. That's not just not an if; it's a when. Yeah. You know? All right. Last question. Anybody else? Gentleman over here with a scarf. Mr. Burberry. I know. Is he wearing Burberry? <laughs> is that a Burberry that scarf? Happening? Is that a Burberry? Yes, it is. I know. Okay. <laughs> All right. Maybe you should be coming up here too, yeah. right? Show Burberry. You're 23 and you sold your company too. <laughs> yeah, you look it's younger like than 23. Younger. Jesus. Uh, What's going on over here? Okay, go. L luckily, in a few years, uh, I haven't yet, uh, but I'm the co-founder and CEO of Veloxia. Uh -huh. um, so we were speaking with Dean Takashi in uh, VentureBeat early February about how developers can uh, break through the App Store. Uh, it's probably a little easier to speak about Google Play and... Um, there are already tons of ways to break through the Google Play regulations because of the APK situation, the OS being more relaxed, let's say. Uh, but I feel like in the upcoming future, uh, both developers and also users are going to be putting so much pressure on App Store that something's going to have to change on that side as well. Uh, if not by these two, um, what the judge said at the end of the case with the Fortnite uh, was clearly indicating that things can evolve over the time. Um, I personally firmly believe that there's going to be an overnight success when the gaming native developers uh, actually enter into the scheme because like you guys said at some point, uh, the current play to earn games are just um, investment schemas with different uh, gamification approaches to them. Uh, would you agree Apple will have to uh, change things due to the pressure or what are your thoughts on this? Yeah, I, I mean, I've been talking about this for so long on the podcast that, that and, and I'm obviously very hyperbolic about it, but like, ultimately what will happen is it's all PR for Apple, right? So and once they get enough P, bad PR worldwide or they have regulations mounting and, and, and they think that the risk to their business is more than the reward of what, of, of the owning the App Store or charging 30%, that's when they change. They are capitalists. Like Apple is evil in that sense. Like they are pure capitalists. <laughs> All they do is, their goal is to sell phones. They could give a shit about their customers. They don't care about their publisher partners. They are evil, right? And so ultimately, when that becomes unsustainable for them, that's when they ch will change their ways, right? And, and the more and more people I talk that worked at Apple or, or are familiar with how Apple operates, that just seems to be the most obvious answer, is it, it, it's just one that's too painful for them to continue. So I think we're getting to that point, though. I mean, it feels much more like the wagons have been circling for so long. There's so much pressure from different places, litigation in the US, litigation in Europe, you know, side-loading, Spotify, like all these things are happening, building up to the point in which they just have to relent, you know, and, and be more consumer and publisher friendly, right? Well, it's, and maybe not even them. If Google relents, then Apple has to follow suit, right? Yeah, they, they've, got to walk, they've got to walk in lockstep. Sorry, I've got to stand. My back is hurting. Um, it's just old people. What's that? It's just old. Yeah, we stood in, yeah, in order of age, right? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So I, I, I really do hope that Apple starts to, um, you know, treat publishers and, and customers better. I just, it's just, it won't be overnight, that's yeah, for sure. Yeah, yeah. And again, as I said many times in the podcast, it's like they're optimizing against their bottom line, right? They're selling a ton of phones, and they're doing that by doing Great this marketing phones. message. If you go to in San Francisco on 280, it's like privacy, 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 Apple, 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 right? Like that sells phones, right? And so as long as they're tooting that, doing the PR, and, and, and making these efforts, then, you know. That's yeah, regular people really like that, like the privacy yeah. sell. 
uh, I've been talking to like just randomly like, yeah, I have this because it's like more more secure than the, than the Android. It's like really? But for us being in the game industry, we probably like it more, yeah. right? Yeah. Yeah, we're well, conflicted there. I, I like it for my daughter, but not for my business. Yes. Right. Yeah, that's why you have two phones. <laughs> All right, with that, at least I threw some shade on Apple before yeah. we left. By the way, thank you to yeah. Telford for allowing me to to oh, occupy right. his seat yes. in this. Uh, and again, thanks to Google for all the. Yes. Uh, yeah. Everything about the thing. And thanks, you guys, for coming. Thank you all. Yeah, thank, thank you for you. staying. We'll thank see you guys me. next week on Twig. Have a nice night. Thank you.